0: Hello, and welcome to the BPL Podcast. My name is Josh, and in this episode, I'm going to talk to New York Times bestselling author Natalie D. Richards about her book, Five Total Strangers. It's currently a big library read, which means through November 15th, you'll be able to download this as an ebook or e-audiobook through the Libby app with your library card. If you have any trouble with Libby, please stop by or call and ask for me. Again, my name is Josh and I'll be happy to help you out. All right, enough housekeeping. Here's my interview with Natalie D. Richards. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, So can you talk a little about your background? What got you interested in writing?
1: Oh, gosh. Okay. So writing has been a lifelong passion of mine. I think I first... Um, learned what authors were in the second grade when Mm -hmm. a teacher invited me to a young authors conference. I didn't really know where books came from. I think I was seven. Mm -hmm. But when I realized there were people writing the stories I loved so much, I knew that was something I really wanted to do. What an amazing gift. So it took a very long time from there because it's difficult to figure out how do you really make a living being a writer? So I segued into business and did several other things, but eventually found my way back in 2013 with my first book six months later.
0: Wow. And then now, I mean, from seven-year-old you mm-hmm. all the way to now, you're a New York Times bestselling author. Yes. Now, I mean, what's it like to become, to, to hit that milestone? Do you, do you get a call from your publisher when it happens or an email from New York Times or do you get a plaque or a trophy or A anything? trophy.
1: <laughs> we should get trophies. That would be fun. <laughs> Uh, No, but what's interesting is I was here in Bexley Public Library when I did get the call and found out I was a New York Times bestseller. I was actually uh, working in the administration office at the time, and I was there late, I think, for a meeting and a call came in from my agent, and some authors know, like, this is great news. I know it's going to be awesome, yeah. but I assumed I was getting fired. I was like, <laughs> well, my editor's calling me. It can't be good, yeah, and then well, as my editor's calling, my agent calls on the other line, and I'm like, oh, this is really bad. Like, that's just my mind went straight to a dark place,
0: yeah.
1: um, but when they told me It was so far off of the radar. Some people know they're close to hitting the list. We had no idea this book was going to hit the list. So it was kind of magic. Like a surprise. A huge surprise. Like, I guess they had been watching it for a while because they knew it was getting close. I was absolutely clueless about it. So when they called, I just kept saying, Are you sure? <laughs> really? In fact, when she said, I'm calling to tell you, you hit the list. I actually said, oh, that's great. What list? I yeah. had no clue. It was yeah. the New York Times, which is the list we all want to be on. So. Right, right, So it was pretty amazing, but very surreal. I had no idea.
0: So when you introduce yourself at parties now, do you say, like, is it a part of your name now? Like, oh, hi, I'm New York Times bestselling author, Natalie. <laughs>
1: I think a lot of my friends and uh, a lot of my support network, they want to do it. Like yeah. my children constantly, my mom's a New York Times bestselling author. That's and cool. I, I feel like sales is something an author can't control. Yeah. So to me... It's incredible! what an incredible blessing to have that monitor. Like, I love yeah. it. I love having that <laughs> right, title. Right. But in the same breath, no, I don't flaunt it around because yeah. I know six months before that, I was writing the same books. Yeah. I was the same writer. I was putting in the same work. I just hadn't hit that list. Yeah. So,
0: that's cool that no, your kids are like, you know, brag about you. They though. really that's, do. That's cool. It's
1: so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yes.
0: yeah. So your <laughs> book, Five Total Strangers, as I said in the beginning, it's featured as a, a big library read. So patrons can check it out, an electronic copy on Libby Mm -hmm. with their library card without waiting on the whole list or anything like that. Can you talk about what patrons are getting into with this book? You know, tone, pace, character types, genre maybe? Yeah,
1: so Five Total Strangers is a thriller and it is uh, don't think gore, don't think horror. Think, you know, what on earth is happening and how is she getting out of this? And it is about a girl who is stranded at an airport by weather, and she's very desperate to get home to her family. Uh, Her mother is grieving the loss of a sister. Mm. Things are very, very difficult at home. So she's desperate enough that she accepts a ride in the blizzard with five or four strangers. Mm. So that's fine. It's already a little creepy. The weather is incredibly terrifying. They're on this road trip. They're in the Pennsylvania mountains. We've got a lot of things working against her. But very quickly, it becomes clear that someone in the car is up to no good. Someone does not want to make her to make it home alive.
0: Mm.
1: So uh, the book is really a thrill ride. Um, many of the emails I get are, I was up all night reading your book. I was yeah. up too late. So it is definitely a fast-paced, um, quick-moving book. I would say that it was an excellent book for a road trip. So if you happen to be <laughs> listening to it, please get in a car and go somewhere because it'll freak you right out. So, <laughs> there is that, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, well, that... That brings up a good point because I, I looked up the audiobook because I've been getting into audiobooks lately, mm-hmm. and I noticed that it, um, it was read, performed by somebody else. Mm-hmm. It wasn't performed by you. Was yeah. that something that you chose or something that your publisher or agent decided? And, and what did you, have you listened to your book uh, performed by somebody else?
1: It is, I have a few books in audiobook, and I, so first of all, the process is they give you a sample of the of the narrator they're considering, so okay. sometimes it'll be two or three, I can't remember what this one, sometimes it'll be like, oh, we really think this is the right narrator, mm-hmm. and I listen to them reading someone else's work. Interesting. Um, so you can kind of hear the voice and say, I, I could, work, this could work for me, and I do have I think I do have veto power if there's a real issue, but they've always chosen great voices that really worked for what I wanted um, the book to sound like. Now, for the second part of that, no, I do not listen to my books. I do not read my books after they're published. At that point, there is nothing I can control. Uh, There's Uh, nothing I can fix if I find something that maybe I'd like to shift or change because I'm a writer. I always want to tweak and edit. Um, I can't do it. So it's really stressful. But the other part of it is I have to let it go. Mm -hmm. When a book is published, it's not mine anymore. Now it's my reader's book. So now it's, it's on to the next part of its life and I can't getting too involved in it can just be really stressful. And also like it doesn't, it's not doing what it's supposed to be
0: doing. Yeah. Right. And speaking of letting go of a book, this is a really exciting time for you. Today, you released. Today is November second, yes, uh, Tuesday, and you have another book, Seven Dirty Secrets, being released today. Right? It is. Yes. Wow, that's it amazing. It was a
1: crazy week in my life. Yes. Yeah. Okay,
0: so you're letting go of this one. You're not going to read this one. You're not going to listen to this on audiobook because it's out for the readers. Yes, it so is ready what, to go. Can you talk about what makes this book stand out compared to your other novels?
1: Oh, so Seven Dirty Secrets does. And it, it was a surprise to me. Sometimes my writing partners and I talk about um, something called writing behind your own back. Mm. Um, and it's something a writing teacher, I can't, this is not attributed to me. This is, But somebody had talked about how writing behind your own back is when you're writing a book or an article or an essay. And without really realizing it, something else is happening. Something deeper is happening in that book or that short story. It's kind of writing behind your own back. You're not intending it, but a story is coming out. Mm. Um, So Seven Dirty Secrets has a lot lot of heavy relationship um, subplot happening through it. There is an abusive relationship. There is a very strong best friendship between two girls, my main character, and, well, the other main character, really and a sibling relationship between the main character and her brother. Mm. Um, those were explored in a way that I, I don't think I ever have to this level in a book. And I think um, I've gotten several emails and reviews where they really uh, attached themselves to that, that they saw themselves in these relationships or they related to something in it. And so that's where it really stands out. It's definitely still a thriller. It's definitely mm-hmm. a, a quick-paced, what's going on, twisty-turny, Natalie D. Richards' book. That's what I write. Yeah. Um, and this one is about a girl who wakes up on her birthday to a scavenger hunt. And okay. as she starts going through the clues of the scavenger hunt, it becomes clear it's about her boyfriend who died a year ago.
0: Mm.
1: Um, so there were secrets involving his death. And this book is about her getting to the end of this scavenger hunt before revenge is taken. Wow. Well. So it is. it's a really different book than the others in that respect, but it's still going to have all of the familiar hallmarks that people like in my writing.
0: Cool. Very cool. So a piece of advice that I've, that I've read about creating is, and for writers is write what you know. Mm -hmm. So do you think this is a good piece of advice? And if so, How do you know so much about suspense and murder?
1: (laughs) That's a very good question that I will not answer on
0: this podcast. No. Okay, I got to (laughs) go.
1: He has to run. He should run. Um, uh, I hate, like, saying that's bad advice, but I'm going to go ahead and say that's bad advice. Okay. I think that maybe it's well-intended. I think that you have to bring yourself every single book of mine. No, I do not have a murder. I do not have a secret serial killer life. (laughs) I don't have a string of victims that I personally know either. But what I do have is pieces of every book. There is a character in every book that has experienced something that I went through or Mm. something that I was very close to. There are themes and relationships, you know, that's why when you think about our big epic fantasy books, why do we read them? Why do we, why are we interested in them? Because we can still find something that connects with us. Yeah. So I think when you consider writing, certainly consider writing an emotion that's real to you, um, an experience that's real to you, a relationship that you understand intimately, but your setting, your plot, do what you want. My advice would be write sloppy, do not be afraid to be a mess. Like, get out there and just let it all out mm-hmm. because the real writing comes in editing. And that's mm-hmm. where people decide whether or not they want to be a writer. I'm convinced. It's,
0: it's the hard work. Right. That, that's the, the hard part. Like, the inspiration is is there and you can just, like, uh, throw it all on a page yes. and it feels good and it's, like, in the moment type of thing. But, Yeah. Editing is, yeah, that's that's right. hard work.
1: But that's where your story is shaped. Yes. You have this big blob of word vomit. When you're yes. done writing, it's just a big pile of words. Yes, And then you have to find, what's the real story here? And often it changes in editing. You go, wow, I thought this whole relationship was one thing, and it's not. I thought this mother and daughter worked this way, and wow, they really don't. It's this. Yeah. I am surprised every time I write a book in the editing process. Something mm-hmm. will reveal itself to me. And it's often something I wrote behind my back. Yeah. But I didn't realize I was writing, and a lot of that isn't Seven And you just for... kind of
0: craft it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you mentioned, like, parts of other books that, that resonate with you. So when you're writing this style, was there a, a, a particular book or an author that inspired you to start writing like this that kind of got you hooked into this thriller um, yeah. genre? Yeah.
1: That's a great question. Um, so it's weird. This is not, I would not say I have a favorite author now. Now I read incredibly widely. I read nonfiction, poetry, essays. Mm -hmm. I'm all over the map. I think Mm -hmm. it's really important as a writer to read very widely, way outside of your genre. And I do, but I would say what inspired me with scary books is, and kind of the reason I write in general is when I was younger and life was difficult, I didn't have a perfect childhood And when things were very hard and frightening for me, a way that I could escape my reality was with a book. Mm -hmm. And some people escape into fairy tales. Some people escape into romance. I found that nothing gripped me and took me out of my own head like a scary book. And for me in particular, it was Dean Koontz. He wrote these amazing books I should never have been reading at 11 years old. (laughs) But whatever, I read them. They happened. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. I'm not thinking about myself, my life, any of my problems. It's all away. It's mm. all pushed into the background and I can really be immersed in this other world, this this scary exciting thing. And then at the end I can put that down and feel a little different about my own world. Mm-hmm. So I think that was what started it for sure.
0: But, that's that's really cool. Yeah. I, I would like with your permission to to describe writing on its best day. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So I would define it as this. It this Beautiful process of capturing the essence of an emotion you feel, translating it into written word for others to read, for them to build that same emotion inside of them. So yes. can you describe writing's worst day and how you break through?
1: Writing's worst day, and here's the truth, dear readers everywhere, writer, writing's worst day is often it's often. Mm -hmm. Because the thing about writing that you don't realize before you're doing it for a living is it's very, very difficult. And there are days you don't want to do it and you're not inspired and you feel stuck or you have a terrible review because people will say unbelievable things to writers. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you just feel like you're never going to top a success, let me tell you, the day after you write a New York Times bestseller is stressful. How will I write another book that's good? Yeah. There's so much stress involved in it that that can push against the creativity. Um, and the only way I found it to break through writer's block, you know, there, I do a whole workshop on writer's block because there are a lot of aspects to it, but just the standard, how am I going to do this today? How am I going to sit down and make it happen is to show up. You just mm-hmm. sit down, you put your fingers on the keys, and sometimes you write three terrible paragraphs and that's it. Yeah. And sometimes you get started and four pages come out of you that you don't need a word of editing on. Now that's rare, a little editing. But yeah. there are times when just showing up is what you need to do and eventually the process will come. It's the practice. It's just like any other exercise. So, But the worst days are the days when you feel incapable, when you feel like an imposter or when you feel utterly exhausted and uninspired and they happen to every writer.
0: So. Yeah. Um, I saw an interview with Jerry Seinfeld uh, once, and he talked about how he puts in eight hours a day, no, no questions asked for his standup. So he, uh, and he, you know, he's very meticulous. He has a yellow legal pad and uh-huh. a certain type of pencil and he sits oh, wow. He sits down at a desk for eight hours and tries to write out jokes. And, you know, he oh, throws away whatever, 95% of them or something like that. But, Amazing. yeah, it, it's kind of the same process that he was talking about. Just showing up and doing it every single day yes. is going to give you some sort of result. Yes. You know?
1: Although my my process is nowhere near so structured, I don't even yeah. have a desk. I actually write <laughs> on the couch with my feet up and yeah. I... Definitely don't write eight hours a day. I think writing most writers I know it's a little more limited than that. They aren't yeah. writing quite so long because it's it's really taxing mentally. You can't do yeah. it. It would be like doing accounting for you know really hard number crunching the entire day. Like I don't know how people would do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and he's afforded the luxury of time because he has is more money than God. That's you know, true. That's he, very he, true. Does, he doesn't have to have a day job or yes. anything like that. Yes. This is he his, can do this
1: in Bora Bora if he would like. Exactly.
0: Totally. Had. Totally. <laughs> Well, you brought up another good thing because as I was preparing for this interview, uh, I was looking at this Big Reads book, mm-hmm. Five Total Strangers, and I, I came across um, the Goodreads entry for it. Right, and there were twelve over twelve hundred reviews. Oh, wow. On Goodreads of your book, and I was, I felt overwhelmed for you. <laughs> like I, I know that sounds stupid. I mean, I have created art. And I cannot imagine 1,200 people consuming my art, let alone taking time out of their day to uh, translate their feelings into words. It feels astonishing to me. Um, So how, how do you handle this tsunami of... Positive and negative feedback.
1: Oh gosh. Yeah, that's, it's hard. It's really difficult. I will be brutally honest. I avoid good reads like the plague. That's not for me, it's for readers. Yeah. Every reader has their own taste and I, I made the very, very poor mistake with my very first book of being in Goodreads and reading all my reviews, and it almost broke me Mm -hmm. because creativity is taking your soul and putting it on paper and saying, here, everybody, you may have this now. (laughs) So when people are like, this is crap. I can't even believe this person is a writer. Like, it's very painful. It's very difficult, and I would quit doing it. If Mm -hmm. I read my reviews every day, I would stop. What What I try to keep in mind is, number one, there are a lot of readers that reach out to me personally or that I meet at book events. And those readers, whatever they have to say to me, that I need to connect with right in that moment because that is a person in front of me that I can have a conversation with. Mm-hmm. A review, I don't know any of the background with it. I don't know who's leaving it often. I don't know what they typically read. And there's nothing I can say. It is what it is at this point. So yeah. they are absolutely entitled to their opinion, good or bad. Um but yes when people are connecting with my work and emailing me those are also it's funny because if the bad reviews can keep me from writing there are moments that will keep me writing and it's not what you think it's not usually the person that's like oh my gosh i love your book so much that's incredible that's such a wonderful feeling what a yeah. gift that i'm getting them out of their lives it's it's incredible but it's usually the quieter emails that say in your book this person died and I lost my so-and-so and I really related to this. Or um, What You Hide is a book that I wrote. It's actually centered in the library here, Texley mm-hmm. Library. Mm-hmm. And it was about a girl who was struggling with homelessness mm. and having people reach out to me that had struggled with homelessness themselves or had a child that had run away and had struggled with it. Those are the emails that keep me going no matter what is happening, no matter mm-hmm. how hard or awful it is. Those are the emails that remind me I am doing this for these people. Yeah, That's a good thing. But it's like,
0: hard. like you said, with with uh, not reading your books after they're published or anything right. like that, that it's for the reader, um, I kind of feel like a review is, it is kind of a, a private conversation between the reviewer and a, a reader or potential right. reader. Right. And and if you kind of sneak in between that, then you're, you're – right. it feels like eavesdropping, right? Like Yeah, it's um, odd.
1: It also feels like there's no way to have a conversation that doesn't become defensive and weird. Um, I had a Kirkus review that not- like, actually was dead wrong on an aspect of my book. Like, yeah. <laughs> described characters in a way that it was like, I was like, oh, that's actually not accurate. And then I was like, well, maybe I wrote it badly. But then other people were reaching out to me being like, that's not true. And I'm like, yeah. well, you you can't argue. That may be a, the perception they had. It's, yeah. They're entitled to their own perception of things. So there's no, there's no way to really get into a negative review that's going to go well. So you just yeah. walk away and...
0: So after that first book, you know, you're you're looking at all these reviews and trying to engage and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And did you find after that to keep you going like did, did you find people a close circle that you can trust uh, to give you constructive criticism about your work?
1: Oh my goodness, I get so much criticism about my work it's unreal. Like when you're a published writer <laughs> all you get is criticism, truly. Yeah. So that's that's the job. That's part of it is yeah. when you're when you're still writing as a hobby, it's kind of you're showing it to people who want to be like, oh my gosh, I love this so much. When you're publishing books, you're showing it to people who are like, why is this wrong and how do we have to fix it? (laughs) So your agent is finding problems. My writing partner, my critique partner can be brutally tough on my work and should be. Um, I have beta readers that will read things and give me opinions. Uh, My books go through, so when I say I don't read my books after they're published, I read them. What you're going to read is the published copy. I just don't pull it off the shelf. Right, and
0: right. I've yes, yes, <laughs> A yes. A lot, to let yeah. me tell oh, me of you. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. But I
1: go through probably, you know, between eight and 12 rounds of editing, depending on what the book is and, and how much editing it needed. So there's so much criticism that, that comes with it. And that's really critical because I do believe that's where the story is born. I really welcome people that want to help me build a better book. Mm-hmm. I don't as much engage with people who just want to tear a book apart. Like, I'm like, that's okay, you're allowed, but I don't want to engage with that. That just hurts. Right. I'm human.
0: Right. So. And so how, um, how long do you feel like it, it took you to find those voices that you could trust? It, did it take a long time after that first um, experience? You know,
1: I think that, I think it's, it's more you becoming accustomed to it. Okay. Uh, the, the people that you can trust your editor, if you don't trust them, you should not be working with them. You should not be publishing. Right. Books. My team at Sourcebooks is unbelievable. They're so talented. My editor has, um, Eliza is my current editor. And the last book she went through, I remember thinking she found things and knew what I was trying to say and didn't say correctly. And that's yeah. such a gift. That's so amazing. So I'm so grateful for people who come in and help me find The Forest from the Trees because you're so close to a book when you're writing it. Yeah, It's incredible to have somebody step in and go, I think you're trying to say this. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I'm trying to say.
0: So unlock it for you. Yes, but
1: it's more really those people are kind of in place. Those relationships build pretty naturally. Um, Beta readers, people that really want to beta read for you and read your books in advance, they tend to be people that or enjoy what you're writing. They're not going to be, because if, if somebody who, for say, like let's say somebody who reads a lot of high fantasy and a lot of romance says, hey, I want to be your beta reader, you might not like what I'm writing. Right. And your input might take it to a place that it shouldn't be. Yeah. So you definitely need to find people that are, interested in what you're trying to do yeah not people who want to like kind of write their own book and that sometimes reviews are that like I want this to be different and it wasn't what I wanted and I'm like well that's but that's not what the book is so
0: right right so lastly what are you reading watching listening to right now that's that's getting you really excited
1: So I am watching Ted Lasso and I love it so much. (laughs) I love it so much. Um, I really love the first season a little better. Do you watch Ted Lasso? I watched
0: the first season. I haven't gotten in the second season yet. I do not
1: like the second season as much, but the first season I just felt was so incredibly uplifting and so much about positivity in a world where we are really happy to be very negative and terrible. So I loved, loved that series. It was really inspiring to me. I am currently finishing a thriller that is pretty darn good, very popular. I think it's called The Guest List. I'm going to look right now. Yeah, sure. On Libby, because folks, it is the best thing in the West. <laughs> um, it's Lucy Foley's The Guest List. I've really enjoyed that. Cool. Um, I read the, the Nighttime Library, the Midnight Library this year. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Like I, I read a lot. most, yeah. Obviously, um, but those are things that are are. Keeping me happy and glass animals. I listen to a kind of ridiculous
0: amount of glass animals. So yeah, yeah, you. right. Cool, very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for yeah. taking time out of your day and thank hanging out so with me. Thank you so much for me. having me. I yeah, congratulations it. on everything that's happening this thank week. Thank you. Thank you. It's <laughs> a big week.
1: Yeah, it's thank a big week. Thank you so
0: much. Thank you for tuning into the BPL podcast today. I hope you enjoyed. For the latest info about Natalie D. Richards, Go to our website at nataliedrichards.com or at the handle at natdrichards on all major social media platforms. To find out more about the Bexley Public Library, including upcoming events, visit our website bexleylibrary.org or the handle at Bexley Library across our social media platforms. Special thanks to FOMO Deep for lending us their song Bourbon Neat for the podcast please check out all their music at FOMODeep.com. If you like what you heard, please help us grow by telling a friend. Rate us five stars and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Email me with any comments, questions, or suggestions at podcast at bechtelielibrary.org. Thank you.